0: Start with our summary statement for Psalm 114. Psalm 114 calls creation to give way and tremble at the presence of the Lord. I'll go over that again. Psalm 114 calls creation to give way and tremble at the presence of the Lord. Divide this psalm into two parts, just divide it into half, verses 1 to 4, the God of the Exodus. Verses 5 to 8, the God of creation. So go over that again. Verses 1 to 4, the God of the Exodus. Verses 5 to 8, the God of creation. All right, so we'll go to our observations. Um, Psalm 114 is what we call an anonymous psalm. There's no superscription. There's no author attribution. There's nothing in the psalm that would identify an author. There's no strong tradition really favoring any particular author of this psalm. Um, There's no musical directions that are given in the psalm. There's no occasion that is given. Um, But in keeping with the psalms that we have seen in in this particular group, the psalm does envision the future coming of the Lord and the shaking of the earth in response to him. So to categorize this psalm, this psalm um, is primarily an historical psalm. So we have reference in this psalm to the Exodus, to the Red Sea Crossing, to Mount Sinai to the water in the wilderness in the desert wandering and the crossing of the Jordan into Canaan. So this is a this is a historical psalm with all those references. It's also categorized as a has creation elements obviously speaking of the mountains and the hills and the sea and the rivers and the rams and the lambs and such. Um, I would also characterize it or categorize it as prophetic predictive um, because it does turn by the end. So the historical aspect of the psalm is a reflection that is anticipating um, a future fulfillment. So Psalm 114 is the fourth of the Hallelujah Psalms. Now that's in Book 5, the first group of Hallelujah Psalms, Psalms 111 to 117. And this is also the second of the subgroup of Psalms known as the Hallel Psalms or the Egyptian Hallel Psalms. Um, and that, is, that subgroup is Psalms 113 to 118. So Psalm 114, along with Psalm 113, um, in the Passover liturgy by the time of Christ, um, those two psalms were sung before the Passover meal uh, as a part of the Hallel. Now, the Hallelujah Psalms, they unfold in praise from Psalm 110. So we have that great Messianic Psalm, Psalm 110, that envisions the return, the second coming of Christ to the earth. So the coming of Christ, of David's Lord, from the right hand of God's throne in heaven to the earth in Zion to reign among and over the nations. That's Psalm 110. And from that psalm, we have this group of hallelujah psalms that, that just unfold in praise over his coming and all have something to do with that in some way. So here in Psalm 114 in particular, There's reference to the Exodus to anticipate his coming and to reflect the creation um, giving way um, before him at his coming. Now, this psalm is also connected thematically with the Hallelujah Psalms. Um, These psalms envision this future coming of the Messiah, the restoration of the creation, the restoration of Israel, um, the restoration of the nations, Um, even though Psalm 114 doesn't have the hallelujah. It doesn't have the Hebrew word um, that the others do, um, but it is a part of this group, and it's been a part of this group and a part of the Hallel um, group um, since before the time of Christ, and, the, and it does uh, it does fit together um, thematically, though it is missing that particular term that the rest of the Psalms have. So the poetic features of Psalm 114, um, one would be the use of parallelism. Um, so particularly in verses 3 and 4, we have these references to the Red Sea and the Jordan and such and Sinai, and then we get each line as it appears in verses 3 to 4 is paralleled in verses 5 and 6. And not only are the verses paralleled, but they're actually Turned into rhetorical questions. So, verses three and four are statements of historical reflection. Uh, verses five and six are questions that are actually addressed to the aspects of creation. Um, one of the poetic features of this psalm would be the use of personification. So, the sea and the river and and the hills and the mountains um, are and the uh, are spoken of in. Uh, more human terms, like um, the sea and the river are, are spoken of in, in terms of, of like they were afraid and like they ran away um, because they were afraid, ran away from the presence of God. So elements of creation that are essentially described as, as being animate objects. We also have the use of apostrophe, which we've talked about some in the Psalms, and that's a that's a pretty um, heady Uh, literary term but essentially there's a there's a direct address like he's talking to the sea and he's talking to the rivers and he's talking to um the mountains so um that's the that's the reference there um in this uh, psalm as far as poetically as well there, there certainly is a movement you you begin with israel coming out of egypt and by the end of the psalm you have the lord's presence in the earth um, so there's certainly a, a movement that is, that's, you know, the whole psalm is moving from beginning to end. Um, the tone of the psalm is very celebratory. Um, it doesn't include the hallelujah. Uh, it doesn't include the, you know, the calls or the directions to praise. But it is very celebratory. Um, it, it certainly fits in with the praise psalms. And the other aspect of it would be Perspective. So when you read this psalm it's written by one like this writer is a witness to these events and so is seeing these events not not necessarily taking part in them but but is seeing them so the writer it's like he's seeing these events and then, of course, he's questioning the sea and, and, and then essentially having referred to those events, then he's referring to the, to the future events, calling on creation to tremble and such at the presence of the Lord. So that's the, the perspective of the psalm. It's, it's like written by a witness of these events. All right, so let's work our way through this psalm. Uh, we have eight verses here, so I'll go ahead and read this. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob, from a people of strange language, Judah was his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan was driven back. The mountains skipped like rams and the little hills like lambs. What ailed thee, O thou sea, that thou fleddest, thou Jordan, that thou wast driven back? Ye mountains that ye skipped like rams and ye little hills like lambs. Tremble thou, earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, which turned the rock into a standing water, the flint into a fountain of waters. So as you look through um, this particular psalm, uh, and I don't, some different publishers, they handle um, poetry differently, so I don't know how the actual formatting may be in your Bibles. I have seen some that take this psalm and they put... Um, essentially, four verse pairs is what they break it into, like one and two, then three and four, then five and six, then seven and eight. And that's actually a pretty good, um, pretty good way actually to, to break these, this psalm because it does, it does sort of function that way structurally. And that's the way I'm going I'm to work through it. So, so verses one and two then give us this opening direct historical reference. So there's, um, you know, we don't we don't get um, we're not getting Um, imagery and and poetic expression necessarily. We're we're getting direct statement in the beginning. So one thing that we notice also that starts in these two verses and and we look at throughout the psalm is that we get this repetition of names for Israel. So um, we get Israel, we get house of Jacob, we get Judah, we get Israel, then we get the God of Jacob. So we have all these different references that are essentially um, referring to Israel as, as God's people. And so there's an emphasis of the people of this psalm and that this psalm then is presenting the hope of a restored Israel. And so we also get references to the exodus and to connected events. Now the exodus that is mentioned, Israel went out of Egypt and it's mentioned here as a coming out from a people of a strange or a foreign or unintelligible language. And that's actually unusual. And as best I can tell, I don't think there's another place in the Bible that refers to the exodus from Egypt that way. Now, generally, when we get reference to Israel being among a people of strange language and coming out from among a people of strange language it is a it's a reference to future exile and a new exodus, so um, places like deuteronomy chapter twenty eight verse forty nine isaiah chapter twenty eight verse eleven Jeremiah chapter five and verse fifteen so in other words, everywhere else that that this um occurs it's it's a reference to future and not a reference to the exodus from egypt, but that's what we get here in this psalm so when we get that sort of, of of blending in this psalm, we see that the exodus and even the return from Babylon were just prefigures of the future gathering and restoration of Israel. So really the exodus here, it's not that the exodus is being dwelt upon, but the Exodus exodus is being referred to because it is it is calls for anticipation of what's going to happen in the future, so the the psalm functions basically as God did this in the past, and he's going to do this in the future and so we get sort of a sort of that kind of a reference going on, and then we get this reference to Judah being God's sanctuary and Israel being God's dominion. Now, the word for sanctuary refers essentially to the dwelling place of God's holiness. So what we've got is a poetic expression for the Lord's presence with Judah. Ultimately, that's that's what's being alluded to here, that God's presence is with Judah. Judah had, had become the sanctuary, the dwelling place of his holiness. In other words, his presence is with him. And then we get this reference to dominion and Israel being his dominion, and that word refers to rule or government or even the realm of rule um, and really it's a parallel expression to what came in the first part of the verse um, and it's again alluding to the Lord's presence. So the reference to Judah and Israel, which also they were not separate kingdoms at the time of the exodus and yet he's referring to them coming out of out of Egypt as, as Judah being his sanctuary and Israel being his, being his dominion. So obviously this is written looking back in, in history, but this is an anticipation of the future united kingdom in their restoration. Now verses 3 and 4 give us the reference to Exodus, to Sinai, and to the entrance into Canaan. And so the the Red Sea... So if we think about what what the Red Sea was as Israel was coming out of Egypt, the Red Sea was an obstacle. The Red Sea was blocking the path of Israel getting away from Egypt and to the promised land. But at the sight of Israel, and and that's the way that it's it's put here, at the sight of Israel with God's presence among them, the Red Sea fled away as, as though it were frightened. Um, the Jordan also blocking the path of Israel getting into the land of promise, but at the sight of Israel with the presence of the Lord, it says it, that it turned back on its on itself. And then we get this reference to the shaking of the hills and reference to Sinai and the hills that shook at the presence of the Lord when He came down upon the mount. Now, the word for skipped that is used, like the rams and the lambs upon the mountain, the word for skipped, it can mean to, to stamp, it can mean to jump about wildly, um, and can oftentimes actually refer to dancing. Um, but it, but it here, as we go on and, and pair it with the rest of the, um, the, rest of the psalm and keep, keep the, the parallel with the Red Sea and such, we see that it's a reference to the shaking of the mountain, the quaking of of the mountain, so that the causing the, the rams and the and the lambs up on the mountain to um, to jump about. Verses five and six now are this is where we get this apostrophe. Um, the psalmist is addressing the sea and the river and the mountains and really these, these two verses are delivered in the form of rhetorical questions and essentially it's like the psalm writer is taunting the creation. So there's a direct address to the Red Sea and to the Jordan River and, and the question is essentially along the line of what was the matter? What caused you to flee away? What frightened you so much that you turned in upon yourself? Direct address to the mountain and the hills as well. What caused you to quake? What what was the reason for it? And that's the way that those, those verses work. The implication, obviously, that is reflecting back, it was the presence of the Lord. Israel and the presence of the Lord among them. Now, we get to verses 7 and 8 that finish out this psalm, and now we get the turn. So instead of the reflection on the past, we get this turn. And we get this call, and the call is to tremble and it's and it's not just to the river or the seas or to the hills; it's to the earth, to the earth. you need to tremble. so all those historical events have been recalled in anticipation of the return of the Lord's presence to earth, and the earth needs to respond to that by trembling. Now the word for tremble that is used here is a word that is oftentimes used to speak of birth pains and is oftentimes associated with the future day of the Lord. Um, We see that in Psalms 28, verses 8 and 9, uh, Psalm 96 and verse 9, Psalm 97 and verse 4, um, Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 8, outside the Psalms, Isaiah chapter 26, verses 17 to 18, um, Isaiah chapter 66, verses 7 to 8, Micah chapter 4 and verse 10, and we even get that coming into um, the New Testament in, in different references, places like Matthew twenty-four, as well as some others. So that's a, that's consistent imagery throughout the Old to the New Testament. This this trembling, like in birth pains, and a and a part of the point that is made about that is that it's not going to be for nothing. And, and essentially, the comparison is made. You know that that you know the woman doesn't. Um, writhe in in pain and not give birth, you know the woman 's writhing in birth pains, and the 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 child is born and so these judgments that are going to cause Israel and the nations to writhe in pain are not going to be for nothing they 're going to bring forth, and what they 're going to bring forth is the coming of the Lord, the coming of his kingdom, the gathering of Israel, the restoration of Israel and such so the presence of the Lord um, the uh, the God of Jacob uh, appeals again to the historic events to anticipate the future uh, and those future events are obviously connected with Jacob or, or with Israel and his coming verse eight tells us that his coming is 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 of the one who turned the rock into water now what we get in this verse certainly is poetic expression so so we, we're we're looking back again to um, Israel in the wilderness, and water came from the rock. So the rock itself became a pool, and the the flint became a spring. So again, these are, these are poetic expressions to, to describe what happened there, the rock and the flint being something that's dry and hard. But these were also, if we think about the connection between all of these events that are referred to, these were also obstacles for Israel. Israel is wandering in the desert without any water, and all they've got are these rocks, and you can't very well drink rocks, can you? Well, the Lord turned rocks into pools of water and turned rocks into springs. So that's the poetic expression of what God turned an obstacle into a blessing for Israel so that they were sustained um, and did um, go on to the promised land. All right, so let's go to interpretation. So, Psalm 114 teaches the covenant faithfulness of God. So, these multiplied references to Israel and God's presence with them are references that are affirming God's covenant loyalty to them. In other words, the implication is that God brought Israel out of Egypt. Why did he do that? Why did he bring Israel out of Egypt? because he had promised Abraham over 400 years before that he would bring them out and bring them back to the land he had promised to Abraham. So God is acting out of his covenant faithfulness to bring Israel out of Egypt. And the point is that God is going to act out of covenant faithfulness to gather them and to restore them in the future to that land. So it it sort of works like what he has done he will do until all those promises are fulfilled. So obviously, Psalm 114 is highlighting highlighting God's covenant loyalty. Psalm 114 also teaches us that creation responds, obeys, and rejoices in the creator. So the presence of the creator in the earth cannot be ignored or neglected by his creation, nor can his creation oppose him. So creation gives way before his presence and trembles in his presence. Now, the messianic hope of the psalm is seen in the fulfillment of the vision and the connection between Israel's restoration and that of the creation as well. So this psalm touches on themes that are in many other psalms, Psalm 28, verses 8 and 9, Psalm 29, verses 6 to 9, Psalm 96, verse 9, Psalm 97, verse 4, um, and, and there are others as well. But these are places that, that join some of these same themes together in this future sort of reference so the connection between the exodus and the future presence or face, and that word um, does mean face, the face of the Lord on the earth refers to the coming of Christ, the priest king from Psalm 110. It's a return to Judah, his sanctuary, and to Israel, his dominion. So in other words, he, he's going to be with, his, his holiness will dwell um, will dwell in Judah and his dominion will be Israel. In other words, he, he will come and he will establish his kingdom and he will be with, the face of God will be with his people on the earth. So the effect of this psalm then is, is to show that nothing will thwart or withstand or oppose his coming and the gathering of Israel to their land and nation. Nothing will stop that. So what he gives us in this psalm essentially is just a list of obstacles. Now, he doesn't mention enemy nations. Now, that that occurs, obviously, in other psalms. He doesn't mention enemy nations and things like that. All of these are creation elements, and all of them represented obstacles, and all of them simply gave way before Israel and the presence of the Lord. And so the, the point is, is that in his coming in that time, in his coming, to establish his kingdom on this earth, to gather Israel and to restore Israel, and thereby restore the creation and blessings to all the nations, that nothing will prevent that from happening. Nothing will be able to stop it. Nothing will be able to stand before the Lord and block his way as if these things will not be fulfilled. All right, let's go to application. Um, I have two of these and number number 1 is an application here but really in a lot of the of the psalms that we've looked at in particular. So understanding Psalm 114 helps us to understand the focus on Israel. And we we might wonder why all this focus on Israel. We we're reading through the Bible, we're reading through the Psalms, and, and we're seeing all this focus on Israel. And we might ask, well, well why is that? Or we also might ask, well, what, what do we, as modern Gentile readers, what do we get from such a Psalm? Is, is it just that, oh, well, you know, this is going to happen for Israel? Is that all that we get out of reading these Psalms? Well, when you look at, at this psalm, one of the things that's interesting about it, and of course, um, poetry has, has a way of playing with, with the norms and, and, and the conventions of things. Um, and so when you look at the terms that are used in reference to the creation, it's interesting that the psalmist has chosen words that are actually a little bit ambiguous. So the words that he's you know the words for skipped and tremble and and such that he uses to describe these things these are words that on the one hand they can refer to terror they can refer to being afraid and acting out of fear but they're also words on the other hand that can refer to great joy they can refer again the the word for skipping is often Times um, a reference to some sort of dancing in the Bible, a, a, a leaping for joy and a, a jumping about for joy. So the, these, he uses terms, and, and you know you look at the context, and, and clearly it seems that it's on the negative side, but then you get the turn at the latter part of the psalm, and, and you start questioning, "Well, then he's calling on, on the earth to tremble, and, and all of these sort of things. Well, what I'm saying is that sort of ambiguity. Is is something that can can really be played upon in in poetry. Um, it can be used in irony. It can be used in in, in other other sorts of um, ways like that. So it can serve a purpose to to refer to both and to show the terror and the joy of the creation at the presence of the Lord. So if you think about what Paul wrote in Romans chapter number eight, he talked about how that the the creation was groaning in in pain. Um, in anticipation of the restoration. So Romans chapter 8, verses 18 to 23. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. For the creature or the creation was made subject to vanity, not willingly, but by reason of him who hath subjected the same in hope because the creature or the creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now and not only they but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the spirit even we ourselves groan within ourselves waiting for the adoption to wit the redemption of our body so the point is that Israel's restoration is also the restoration of the creation it's the lifting of of the curse, and so through the Abrahamic covenant, Israel is the national vehicle for blessings to all the nations of the earth. So, Paul again, Romans chapter eleven, verse twelve. Now, if the fall of them, and he's talking about Israel, and he's talking about their blinding and they're being set aside for a time in their exile. If the fall of them be the riches of the world, and he's talking about how that the gospel. Has come to the nations, and um, many of the of the nations have have received that gospel he says, and the diminishing of them, the riches of the Gentiles or the nations, how much more their fullness paul says if if such great blessings have come upon the nations by Israel being blinded and set aside, how great are the blessings that are going to come upon the nations' When Israel is converted, regathered, and restored, that's, that's the point. So we should look with joyful anticipation to the future blessings to Israel and realize what that means for us as well. So yes, there is a focus on Israel because that is God's covenant people and that is through God's covenant how he intends to bless and bring blessings upon the nation, nations and the restoration of the creation. Number two, understanding Psalm 114 again helps us understand that nothing will prevent God from fulfilling all of his promises. So the common thread of creation in this psalm is that those elements um, that posed some sort of obstacle to Israel possessing the land, all of those elements, they gave way at the presence of the Lord. And so it's so easy for us to get caught up in the, what we might call the downward trend of the world, and there certainly is a downward trend of the world, and it's easy for us to get caught up in that, to be, um, you know, even despairing over that, And, and, and maybe even thinking how, how can how can such mess as what we see in this world today? How can how can that be, you know, made something glorious? But a psalm like this um, steps in and, and helps to reassure us that nothing's there, all these things that seem like obstacles they will give way at at the presence of the Lord. When when He returns, He's going to tread down and destroy all of his enemies, and he's going to remove the curse from this earth, and he's going to restore this creation. He's going to re- restore Israel, establish his kingdom, and, and all of his saints will be with him and reigning with him and participating in, in this kingdom, um, living in this blessed time. So none of, none of these obstacles that we see are going to stop the Lord from returning and establishing his his kingdom and restoring this creation. All right, that's Psalm 114. Any questions on anything that we covered here this evening? I don't know. Because not everybody would be glad to see the uh the the redeemer if he was their offender, of but so uh, there's two to that. Kind of like rejoicing right. and trembling. Yeah, I mean that, that is true. Um I don't I don't know whether there's any intended connection there, but that is true. No, I'd, I'd have to i'd have to think about that you know look into that a lot more to see whether there was <laughs> no i mean I, I mean there could be an intended connection there I'd, i don't know um but or it could just be a good illustration um of the principle because it, it certainly is that uh you know the terror and and the joy so it, it certainly is that so yeah i don't know i'd have to i'd have to do put some work in on that The flint and the fountain? The flint and the fountain come under me if all you that are thirsty come under me and drink basically like the flint. Right. The water from the flint and the song. That's not sexual easy. <laughs> all right, anything else? I have a feeling Steve can do this for a while. he usually he usually doesn't but